Hi, everyone. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is the 2nd of March. Oh, my God, we're in March already. 2nd of March. Uh, let's see, 2023. Hi, everyone. This is episode 150. Can you believe it? Of the original reformed live chat, whatever it is. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. I am um, happy to be here with you. See, so, what, what is it today? Obviously, you guys know what the score is. UFC 285 is just days away at this point, about 48 hours and some change. So today, I'm sure all the questions, I think I've seen some, they'll all be about that. Uh, thumbs up on the video, please, if you haven't already. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, I've already told my family. I've already told my family. So I have to go up to Saturday. I have to call the prelims for Showtime on the boxing side. Then we're going to watch UFC 285. And then we're going to do a post-fight show live in studio. For MK, I come back on Sunday morning. I've already told my family that I need time to get that Jones breakdown up. So that will be up. That I've actually carved out time for it ahead of time. I did not do that very well at the last pay-per-view, but this one I did. So that'll be out, I think, uh, either Sunday night or Monday, more likely Monday, but certainly pretty quickly, and I'm excited about it. But we have a live chat to get to today. So without further ado, let's do it. All right, let me put this here. Yes, okay, great. Um, as you guys know, you put I put out a thread the day before. You fill it up. You guys vote on which questions should be ranked highly and which ones shouldn't be, and then we go from there. So let's pull that into the screen if we can, like this, and there we are. There's been a lot of comments. I can't tell if I'm getting cooked on Twitter or not uh, because there's some look at – if you look at John's physique here, and these pictures don't really – I mean, let me, let me just say something here. Here's what I said, and I, I I really stand by it. At the end of the day, none of us really know exactly how this weight gain for John is going to go. We simply do not know. Maybe his coaches know because they've been in the room with him and they have a sense of how he matches up and what it looks like over the course of you know uh, you know the duration of a pro of a of a practice or whatever. But you and I, we simply have no way of knowing. But the only point I really want to make is that when you look at this, oops, excuse me, at the stream. When you look at this. All right. Bulks can be deceiving. They can be extremely deceiving. Uh, Jeff Nippert uh, recently did a bulk. Do you guys know who Jeff Nippert is? His Canadian kind of fitness influencer. He did a bulk recently. And before he began the cut, now granted, that's sort of more like vanity lifting, bulking, and cutting. But before he did the cut, it looked, he definitely looked bigger, but he didn't look like he'd added a ton of muscle. Then he cut it and he had clearly added a bunch. What I wanted to say about this is there are people who can. Uh, lift weights and then kind of lose weight at the same time but they are typically the profile of that kind of person is not typically an advanced athlete it typically is people who have working out for the first time or haven't worked out in a long time people who might have a large composition like a very large composition of body fat um, that kind of a thing but if you're an athlete particularly an advanced athlete and by all means please double check this with Dr. Mike Isratel or or Lane Norton or any of these guys who also is a PhD um, if you are an advanced athlete it is basically basically not possible to both lose weight uh, and add muscle at the same time and so you're well, you're like well he's trying to add weight no matter what but what I mean is lean weight like to put on a bunch of muscle and then not this a commensurate amount of fat um, you can't really, you can't really do that when you're an advanced athlete, at least is what the literature says. So my only point about this is that you don't really have a clear sense of it on this side, 
until he loses the weight. If he were to cut actually some of the fat off, then side by side, you could get a better muscle comparison of what it is. And more to the point, I mean, this is sort of my, 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 excuse me here. This is sort of my central point about all of it, which is that again, we don't know how he'll function, but there's really no way to put on extra muscle when you're John Jones without adding extra fat. And if, if this, body composition, whatever the proportion is, is what they need for their game plan, then what I wrote was any kind of cut thereafter is just a vanity cut. It wouldn't be performing. It wouldn't help you perform better. Again, assuming that's in play, cutting the fat off wouldn't necessarily help you perform better, right? The idea is that whatever his weight is in whatever proportion it is in terms of muscle to fat or everything else uh, and what their goals are to get out of that body via vis-a-vis the game plan why would you cut weight just to cut weight why would you diet down the fat just to do it you could do it and that would be a better showcase of what the muscle gain would be but if you're an advanced athlete you can't bulk up from let's say uh, 220 to 250 uh first of all 30 pounds of muscle is going to be hard to put on as an advanced athlete and more to the point you're not going to get there without putting on fat and if the fat doesn't really it either doesn't hurt the game plan or or actually it might be part of the whole process to be hefty uh like for top control for locking up for takedowns then it could actually prove to be quite beneficial we simply don't know but the idea that you can look at this and be like oh well he just you know he looks like he just you know is the same guy just with 20 30 pounds of fat on him or, or whatever the number is um i would strongly challenge that i, I would i would or i would at bare minimum i would say i would caution against that very strongly you know again none of us know but you can't do what he's trying to do without subsequently adding a ton of fat. And if it's not getting in the way or, and or helps the game plan, just leave it. Just leave it. All right. Let's get to the questions here. Luke, do you think Cyril's performance versus Francis was just a result of not expecting Francis to wrestle? Or do you think it was indicative of his takedown defense overall? A little bit of column A, column B. Consequently, how much better do you think his takedown defense can get between then and now, I personally think of his takedown defense is anywhere near that level. John dominates him. Thanks for all that you do. Um, column A, column B. Column A, column B. I definitely believe that he was not expecting some of what Francis was able to do. Namely, one of the takedowns. Uh, Francis got four, I believe, takedowns on Cyril Gone. For example, one of the takedowns came from when he just kicked high to the body. Francis caught it and then ran him. And then I think picked him up and then like it ended up being something like a double leg, but kind of just picked him up and slammed him. But it was from a caught kick. You know, if he's, if Cyril Gaon is as intelligent as we presume him to be, I would avoid those early in that fight. I would avoid those for through potentially long stretches of the fight. I wouldn't shy away from them altogether, but you would have to be very, very selective and careful about that. He seemed to me to be not very selective and careful when he was fighting Francis. I think that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is, and I said, I've mentioned this point on the post fight show after Cyril fought Francis. Uh, I mentioned this on MK this week. I'm going to say it again. It was really one of the most, there's a couple of uh, more than a couple. There are several moments that stand out in my training background, which I always try to tell you was not decorated, but it was lengthy to an extent. And I remember early, 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 I had Professor Paul Green was his name. Um, this was back when I was training in Maryland at the time. And uh, this I, I might have been like a year into training at the time. Uh, and I remember he told me that we were, we were doing guard passing drills, right? And I forget what, I forget what, I think it was like use any pass you want, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, switch partners. You know, they, if you've ever trained, you guys know that they, they do a lot of drills like that. 
and I remember there was it was open guard and I it was uh it was nogi and I you know at the time I didn't even have any concept of how to pass or what that looked like so I remember I grabbed an ankle and sat for it and tried to wrench it back if you notice he does that with uh Francis or at least he tries to he ends up getting swept in the process because it was an epically disastrously stupid call that was a terrible call and I remember what my the instructor at the time told me which was it's like dude it's not to say that there's never a case to grab someone's ankle and sit back on it but like you need to learn guard passing first you need to learn guard passing first and if your instinct when someone has open guard and they're on their back um is to sit for an ankle and i know he's got like leg lock wins on his record but his leg lock game to me is not very very advanced it's okay uh it's it's decent for a heavyweight but it's not it's not particularly advanced. It's not. It's not like he's not like he's you know heavyweight Gary Tonin or something. He's very far from that. Um, it's good enough to beat you know low level heavyweights or something. But you saw Francis sweeping whatever. But the point is, is if your instinct is to sit rather than go, and you're not an expert in leg locks, that to me is a red flag. That's a red flag. This is why I kind of thought I need to see him versus Curtis Blades gone before this John fight to give us a sense of like what kind of improvement he could actually make. Um, so there definitely is a skill issue. There definitely is a skill issue. When your decision-making tells you to sit for a leg when you're not a leg lock person in any kind of advanced sense, rather than pass, especially against a heavyweight, right? Because if you sit and it doesn't go well, they're going to be able to stand or potentially win a scramble. Like, how do you want to get out of a leg lock? I mean, there's a lot of ways, but part of it is to reduce heel exposure by putting your foot to the ground. And then one of the ways to get over it is just to stand uh, or at least, you know, have your knee elevated and then stand. That way they can't, they can't turn the knee over. They can't elevate the heel. And so you can end up losing position a lot in those cases. That's why, again, if you're not a leg lock expert, sitting for an ankle like that is a really, really, really bad idea. Um, on top of that, he has talked about his own laziness. I have subsequently had several French speakers reach out to me and tell me that, like, don't know, the translation on his interview was quite direct and real, that it was good. There was some dispute about that in terms of what people had told me previously. Again, I'm not a French speaker in any capacity whatsoever, so I am I am at the mercy of what French speakers tell me. So your question was, uh, was it a result of not expecting Francis to wrestle? Clearly. Definitely that's a big part of it. Or do you think that his, it was indicative of his takedown defense overall? I think his grappling game overall is not nearly as advanced as his striking game. I would hesitate to call it poor, but it's there's a huge gap between them. There's a huge gap between them. So what you have to ask yourself is how much of that can he make up between the Francis fight and this one, which has been about, what is it, 14, 15 months, something like that. How much can he make up in that time, especially if he's training inconsistently? And um, how much growth is... Uh, even if he gets some growth in that department, how much of that is enough? What I tend to think is that he will have better takedown defense in part by not exposing himself, like high kicking and getting it caught, in which case you just get run over. I think he'll have better decision making. I think he'll have better initial down blocking. I think where the issue might present itself is if John has to start chaining things together, which, by the way, could be taxing on him. But what you'll notice is... Um, People who are late to grappling, who have some other, particularly you know, if they're striking based first and they have to pick up grappling later, what you begin to notice is their first order takedown defense ends up being pretty good. Their initial down blocking, their initial sprawl, their initial underhooking actually ends up being not bad. They can't, though, maintain that through the course of an attempt. If the person attempting it is good and they can switch double to single, single to, you know, Koichi Gari or, you know, some kind of other transition, which I don't know if John's got that in them, but. 
um, in, under those conditions, that's when they begin to fall apart is when they can chain it. So I do think, I'll, I'll say this, I'd be surprised if John never got him down. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised. Um, but I would also, yeah, I would be very surprised if John never got him down. The question is, can he get him down enough and do enough with it to win? And only, only uh, the creator of the universe knows that. All right. Luke, as it came up on Twitter again uh, a few days ago, a retelling of the story of Jones speaking to you in a British accent for the entirety of the interview seems worth retelling. It doesn't matter how many times I tell people this story. They seem to, tell, they seem to think I'm lying to everyone. <laughs> I'm not lying. Like this 1,000% happened with all my certainty on my child, on my family, on my house on everything that I own, on anything I could possibly put it on to get people to take me seriously. Maybe they don't even with that, but whatever I could do to get people to take me seriously, I'm telling you what happened. Back when I worked at, there was a radio station at the time, it was called WJFK. It's still the same call number, which is 106.7 on your dial. It's an FM station. It was owned by CBS Radio. Now it is owned by Odyssey. Um, I worked for it before it flipped to sports. I had a, I had a MMA uh, radio show on the weekends here in Washington, D.C. It was called MMA Nation. It started on Saturdays. It ended up being on Sundays. And then I quit when I went um, and I'm roughly full-time with SB Nation 2011, 2012 or so, something like that. And the way it worked with the radio station was that, and this is true of several radio stations, this is true for terrestrial as well as satellite. What ends up happening is these radio stations end up, or the radio companies, so in that case it was CBS Radio, they end up doing deals with people that facilitate interviews. So if you listen to your morning radio, sports radio, whatever, you might hear a celebrity come on, pay attention to see if they plug anything. Right, if they plug, I've got this new charity, I've got this new product, I've got this new thing I want to plug. That you get all of these offers to do an interview with someone, and then you have to plug whatever it is. For MMA, it ended up being pretty great because all they really wanted to plug was the event that they were fighting on, which I was having them on anyway. So this radio company used to set up interviews with me for UFC fighters. At time, I used to get my a majority got my own, but sometimes I would go with this. And one time they came with me with a John Jones offer, and I was like, sure. This was before the Rampage fight. I was like, yeah, I'd happily, no problem. We can do this all day. And uh, I'd worked with this person for a long time. And um, I had a private number that they had used. I had been in contact with them that day. They call you. John Jones doesn't call you. That radio company calls you. And then they go, hey, what's up, Luke? It's blah, blah, blah. You ready to do this interview? And I'm like, yep. And of course, the person doing the interview, whether it's John Jones or Kim Kardashian or whoever, they end up having like 100 calls they have to do in a day. And they just go radio station to radio station to promote their fights. Whether they still do those, I don't know, but they certainly did at the time. And it was my turn for the John Jones interview. The guy's like, all right, let me patch you through. Again, this is a guy on a private number who I'd known for a long time and I worked with uh, subsequent to this as well. Like, like It's as legitimate as it comes. They patched through John. When I talked to him before we went live, he was talking normally. And then we go live for the recording, and he just starts talking in a British accent. If you guys are wondering what I'm talking about, I will pull it up for you. You can. It actually, I got like like an extra fifteen thousand views on it this week. People, um, let's see, John Jones, British accent. Here, let me let me show. Actually, this is perfect. So this is the interview that I did. UFC 135. John Jones does an interview in British accent. Admits to Spygate. I think I think Rampage had admitted he had had like a, or John had like some kind of, 
spy and his team or you know something fucking stupid. Here is an interview from the exact same day, right? From the exact same day. In fact, you can see we've been talking about it right here. From the exact same day, I then saw him at the Muscle Farm facility. And I asked him about it. He admitted to it. I even talked to his manager and he admitted that he had done it as well. You can like he cops to it right away. <laughs> and people think I'm making it up. It sounds bizarre. And in fact, I've like asked British people, dude's accent was pretty good. Like I was blown away. And I think even some British people were like, God damn, his accent's not bad. Yeah, dude, that's him. That's him. One billion percent. That's him. There's no way it's it's not possible for it to be not him. It's him. It's him. Uh, he did it, and it was fucking weird. He's 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 just done weird shit to me, like for a long time. I mean, this was not out of animosity that I know of. I I spoke to him later, and folks were like, "Oh, was this the thing that got him mad at you?" Like, no, this is one thirty-five. You can go to the post uh, presser for what was it when he fought OSP, like one ninety-seven, whatever it was. Um, we were cool then. We were cool then. It wasn't until. Um, my, here's my, again, no one's ever told me what it is, but my best guess is that before he came back to fight Cormier, or, yes, Cormier at 214, uh, around 2017 or so, um, obviously he had had all the issues with the car accident and, you know, running, fleeing the scene and taking his title and everything. And at that point, I think we had all said pretty, you know, negative things about him, which not, not, not one bit of it I take back. Uh, and I don't think he liked it. And so at that point, he just decided he was was done with me, which, you know, um, fighters do. Um, but uh, but yeah, that really happened. That's a real fucking thing that 100% happened. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter what I tell people. There's, there's tinfoil hat donks on the internet who are convinced I'm making it up. Trust me when I tell you. I have left it up for a reason. Like, it's... The shit happened. Like, it 100% happened. Um, it's just bizarre. It's just totally bizarre. All right. So here we go. Do you think Jones's kick and clinch heavy game has fallen behind the times in MMA? It's kind of hard to say. You've talked to fighters like Holloway and Yanez about the increased emphasis on developing boxing skills in MMA, and this seems to be John's weakest area. Yes and no, actually. The relative lack of skill across higher weight classes probably mitigates this. Definitely true. But it seems much more likely that John gets beat in boxing range than in grappling exchanges or the outside kicking games. Let me read that one more time. It seems much more likely that John gets beat in boxing range than in grappling uh, exchanges or the outside kicking game. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that part. Has his clinch game fallen behind? Dude, John was ahead of the game for a long time uh shouts to dan tom dan tom i think he's dan tom mma on twitter you should you should uh, look him up he does he works for mma junkie and does some other good stuff he uh he's got he's got great uh analytical work on this and had shown like for a long time john will do a lot even like for example you go to the rashad evans fight was like ufc 140 or so in atlanta where he's able to overhook and then grab Rashad's far side wrist and feed it through and then even when guys would try to turtle he's grabbing same side or even cross side wrist or you know whatever he needed to do to control he's been really ahead of the game both in ground position control and then um, in clinch positions he's always had good elbows in the clinch not so much of a dynamic near in the clinch like he doesn't have like a tie boxing clinch in that way 
but he's got like I can transition to a front headlock series. I can do snap downs. I can strike and get away. He was wildly ahead of the game. The game has caught up, but only because he's been inactive and they've had time to to do that. Not because like he was always level with them and now they've surpassed. It's more of a game of catch up. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, you got Holloway and Yanez, but there is a downside to their style, namely. Let's see here, John Jones fight metric. So let's look at John Jones's career numbers, dude. His fucking career numbers are absolutely mind blowing. You just gotta be absolutely fucking shitting me with some of this, dude. Look at this strikes absorb per minute, two point two two, folks. Let me just tell you very explicitly. For somebody with that many fights, and how many of them have been title fights or fights of number one contenders or extraordinary significance, that is absurdly low. Absurdly low. My man's just not getting hit a whole lot. Compare that to Max Holloway's numbers in terms of how much he absorbs. Now, granted, he's coming off of a really bad loss. That's going to affect it. But just to point out about styles, let this pull this up. Let's look at this. Now let's look at Max's strikes absorbed per minute. 4.89, right? Significantly higher. Okay. Let's look at Adrian. And you guys know I love those guys, but I like all styles have a door locked. Yeah, because Tuki's about to come home. All styles have a downside. All styles have a cost, right? Perfect example. Here's Adrian's numbers. Look at these. Strikes absorbed per minute, 5.49, right? So the reality is about those guys who are boxing-centric, they have a dynamic offense, and I think that their defense is going to get better over time. But some of these earlier prototype versions of what you see about guys really incorporating some significant boxing skill into what they do, it, it doesn't translate yet on the defensive side. Um, they've got a lot of the offensive weapons without some of the defensive sensibilities, and I think that's just because that these guys aren't talented it's just we have they haven't quite figured it out yet. They will, I think, over time, but they just haven't got there yet. So when people point out about like Jones's lack of dynamism, one thing you really have to take into consideration why a lot of close rounds end up going his way is because the fucking guy doesn't get hit. Historically, he just doesn't get hit. It's remarkable to have. I mean, dude, look at John's motherfucking record. Look at who this guy has fought. And his numbers are at 2.25. Striking defense, 64%. Two out of three either don't miss, or, you know, basically two out of three either get blocked or don't, you know, hit the target. Dominic Reyes, Tiago Santos, Anthony Smith, Gustafson, Cormier, Saint uh, OSP, Cormier, Glover, Gustafson, Chael, Vitor, Rashad, Lyoto, Quinton, Shogun, Ryan Bader, Matt Yushenko, Vera, Matt Hamill, Jake O'Brien, who at the time was a big time prospect, you have uh, Stefan Bonner, and then Andre Guzman. This fucking guy fought all of these guys. And his career numbers are at 2.2. Look at his strikes landed per minute, 4.3. He's got nearly, for career numbers, not like whatever, his career numbers are nearly 2x strikes landed versus absorbed. And he's below three, which puts him well below average for someone with that level of experience. It's just absurd. It's fucking absurd. His numbers are fucking absurd. They're absurd. So getting back to your particular question, um, this seems to be a weak area of John. John, I have a tape study on John that I think you might benefit from. Let me pull that up as well here. I'm doing a lot of typing, which I don't typically like to do, but um, let's see. John Jones, 
Gustafson preview Monday morning analyst. Let's see. I did one over Christmas break one time. Perfect. Here we go. Here's both of them. Ready? So here's the one I did with the Biggie sweater. I did a preview of this on Christmas for what it was look what it would look like. And I talked about something called single strike high variance. And then this is the breakdown thereafter, back when I had a little bit of uh, gray in my, uh, very little gray in my beard. Um, I bring this all up to say, when you go back and you look at it, John's striking style is not, um, he doesn't, he's not a combination thrower. He is a, uh, he's a single striker. Sometimes he'll put a couple of things in combination, but it's pretty rare. But here's what he is good at. He throws from here, then the next one comes 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 here, and he'll change the timing up. He'll change the range. He'll change the speed. So it's single strikes, right? It's a lot of poking, but they get the, the timing on them is a little bit different. The range on them is a little bit different. The power on them is a little bit different. The location is very different over time. And that's been a style that's really worked well for him as he manages distance and, and, and meaningfully uses his range. The question is, how does that measure up against Cyril Ghana? I think that's going to be the hard part because the guy who moves on him the way that Cyril's going to, that's going to make landing those shots for a guy who's pretty selective, although can land, historically speaking, at a high clip when he wants to, uh, it's going to make it a bit of a challenge. That part's going to make it a challenge for sure. That to me, the two interesting battles here for me is how does John deal with Cyril's movement and what does Cyril's movement confer in terms of benefits? Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never sparred, and again, I'm hardly some you know sparring warrior, but to the extent I have any experience, I don't think any coach would challenge this. A half second or a second in, in professional combat sports, boxing, MMA, is a fucking eternity. It's an eternity. So if I'm here and I'm moving and I'm moving off to the side constantly and you're constantly having to follow, if I can pull you in directionally and then timing-wise, if I can take a step and then you're a half second behind me, dude, you're fucked. Like anybody good is going to assassinate you, right? Anybody good. The dude in your gym, won't. The dude in your state, probably won't. You know, we start getting to the national level, things get different. You start getting to the world level, dude, they're going to eat you alive. They're going to eat you alive. You leave someone, a, dude, you leave someone a second in, in MMA to play with, they're going to they're gonna torch you. You know, they're going to torch you. So uh, that's, to me, those are the two biggest questions for me. Takedown defense, Gon's movement. That's really what it. I think it will come down to. Or does John just take away the movement, right? Does he Is he able to shoot and use that just to clinch? And then from the clinch, now Cyril's good in the clinch, but use it more like a wrestling clinch where it's snap downs, front headlocks, you know, really kind of wear on him. Use that. I mean, if you're going to have that bulk, you got to use it, right? You got to put, you have to lean on this guy. You got to make him carry your weight, you know? So I think the takedowns will obviously be really big too, but I wonder about just putting pressure, like, Dude, one of the things that they tell you, we used to do drills like this all the time. One of the things they tell you is like, you know, make their low back burn, you know, constant snapping. And this is pure wrestling, but constantly snapping on the neck. You don't want to club them, obviously, but, you know, uh, just pulling on it, wearing on it, draining on it. Um, I think I think that's going to be a, a pretty critical part. I think if you want it to be nimble, he just stopped at around 240 or so. But we'll see what he comes in at. But um, uh, he looks to me like every part of 250 plus, you know.
All right. Uh, like many, I have I have John Jones as the goat by a good margin or a good margin. Do you think a lost Saturday night changes anything on his legacy? Oh fuck yeah! And ranking all over, it seems a lot of people are willing to forget all his accomplishments in the event that he loses. No, thanks again for all that you do for this community. Um, and this is a really nice thing to say. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, dude. Like, why wouldn't it hurt him? Why wouldn't it? Like you. You are allowed individually to look at athletes like this who are attempting something grand. And you are allowed to say, hey, man, win or lose, this was him putting risk on the line. This was him, you know, taking on a more, ostensibly a more difficult challenge, right? In the sense that he's going up a weight class. That's always been the thing that is sort of the mark of um, the very best because of, you know, the, the complexities that it adds to the difficulty anyway. Um, right. That's sort of the general rule in combat sports. And, and if he makes it a strong account of himself, but then loses, you're allowed to be like, wow, man, that was like impressive. Or, you know, I take my hat off to him or whatever kind of thing you want to say to, to honor the difficulty that he was willing to accept in chasing this particular goal. But if he falls short, it counts on his resume, right? GSP, when he went up a weight class, didn't fall short. You know what I mean? Like, and by the way, he took it off the guy who was holding the belt. And you could say whatever you want about Bisping, but he was holding the belt at the time. There's no one like he's not beating Francis. He would be he beaten, he'd be losing to the guy that lost to Francis. Like, yeah, dude, that would very much hurt him. Now, where it gets more complicated is if he wins this one and loses the next one, or conversely, loses this one, but then wins the next one. Because if he loses this one, then wins the next one, and then the next one being like, I'll say a rematch automatically was gone. Well, then you get to a situation where it's what you have with GSP, where GSP has losses on his record, Matt Sarah, uh, Matt Hughes, but he also beat everyone he fought because he rematched Matt Hughes, beat him uh, three times, right? Or whatever it was at this point. I can't even remember, but he certainly rematched Matt Sarah, beat him, um, you know, viciously, I would add, on top of that, with those knees to the body over there in, in Canada when he did it. Um, so... So, you know, if he does that, then it gets a little bit more complicated to, to think about. And I, it wouldn't, he would, okay, so even if he loses, dude, he's still the best light heavyweight by a million miles. And I still would put him in the category of guys top five-ish, you know, for sure. But if he loses, would that damage his claim on being the best ever? Yes, of course it would. Yes. You accepted risk. I appreciate that. You fucking lost. <laughs> Like the other guy was better. Yeah, your skills and, and this moment in time, you were not good enough to say that you could go up a weight class and win another title. Yeah, fuck off. That, yes, that would absolutely hurt him and count against him. It wouldn't hurt his light heavyweight accomplishments in any capacity. Um, but in terms of like his standing as a fighter, yes. And his standing in pound for pound conversations or greatest of all time, how would it not? How would it not? You fucking lost in that case, in that circumstance. Yeah, for sure it would. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Has your prediction for Gone and Jones changed at all from the content we've seen this week embedded in press conferences? Well, it hasn't been a press conference, just media day. To me, John seems so locked in, calm and analytical in everything he's saying. It's making me truly believe the underwhelming Santos-Reyes fight were from unmotivated and uninspired John Jones and that this weekend we're going to see a cold killer Johns back in the cage. I'll meet you halfway. First of all, my pick changes every hour. Like, I just... I'm. I, you know, if you guys have a strong pick, congratulations. I'm really not that guy, at least not on this one. 
there are always unknowns heading into a big fight, right? Like you just don't really know about how all the variables are going to go. And how many times have you thought you were certain a fight was going to go a, a, a particular way and then it just ended ended up looking very different? I think we have to have some humility about that. And then when you add in the change in weight class, the change in physique, the change in, uh, or I should say the, the three years off and everything else that's going on around him, you know, there's just a lot of really difficult questions to answer, which we just don't have good information to do. And it's okay to say that. I know that the sports world and the pundit world is all based off of bold and, and clear declarations about what they know to be true and, and F you if you don't believe it. That's not what I'm, I do here on the live chat. At least that's not what I try to do. I, I try to tell you if we have good information to believe something, let's believe it. And if we don't, we don't. And sometimes we just don't know. We just really, really, really don't know. This is such a strong case. My best guess is, and I've gone back and I've watched, I won't say every John Jones fight, that's not true, but I've watched a bunch. Um, and it, I get the feeling personally, I didn't really notice this in real time, but I kind of feel like it now having gone back and watched in subsequent order. Uh, that's how I watched it. I really believe that the second Cormier fight um, in, in the uh, Honda Center in Anaheim, California, that was his that was the best John Jones I've ever seen. I mean, yes, you know, I asked I asked BC what he thought. He said Machida. I mean, I mean, you know, amazing performance too. I, you know, he beat the shit out of Brandon Vera. Like he's had strong performances for a long time. But in terms of the difficulty of the opponent and everything else and how he looked and how dynamic he looked and dialed in and sharp, shit, man. Like that was the best one I have ever seen, uh, for sure. What I noticed after that, though, was he didn't look quite as dynamic against Gustafson. And then you start looking at everything that happened after that. He looks increasingly less dynamic. Now, there is a slight edit to that, which is you go back and you watch the fourth and fifth round. Dude, John Jones was incredible in the fourth and fifth round because I forgot that, that John actually took a huge punch at the beginning of the fourth. I was like, dude, fucking Dominic Reyes. How did John win the fourth? Oh, right. Because after that, he comes back and just stomps on him, right? I mean, he, and especially in that fifth, he beat the living shit out of him. So, um, you know, there are individual rounds where this is not the case. There's individual moments and in fights where it's not the case. But I personally believe here is my working theory. My working theory is the John Jones you saw against Cormier is the best one I've ever seen. And there's been something of a decline ever since. I don't think he can fully escape that. I really don't. I, I think win or lose on Saturday, we're definitely going to look at John and be like, right, it's not just the physique. It's not just the time off. This dude is older and not what he once was. Again, listen to what I'm saying. Win or lose, I think we'll say that. I just, I'm not of the belief that what really happened at the Reyes fight was that he was just so unmotivated. He couldn't bother himself to train properly, to fight properly, and to get his mind right. I'm sure that he was burned out having seen GSP get burned out and other fighters get burned out who were championship guys just constantly defending their title. I mean, that, we've talked about that. Like, what's the hardest thing in the world to do? I think it's defend a UFC weight class title over time. Look what it did to GSP. He was I completely burned out after that before the Hendricks fight and then certainly after it where he just couldn't take it anymore, you know. Uh, it, 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 will, it will absolutely melt you. I, I take it that it that he was diminished in some capacity by that. And so that part should now be removed. Fair. But I don't think you can you can fully disentangle that from the inexorable march of time on what he was doing. And everyone's like, oh, at heavyweight, 35, that's young. Dude, this guy's been doing this for a long time. He's been fighting for almost 15 years 
at this point. The wear and tear on him is, even with the time off, is significant. That big toe thing, dude, anyone who's had big toe issues, that sounds stupid. Like, oh, big toe, ha, ha, ha. Dude, your big toe is messed up. You're messed up. You can't balance. You can't shoot. You can't do shit. You can't press off of it. You can't do anything. Um, you know, and of course, it's much more than that. Uh, but but uh, in terms of his injuries and, and everything else, but um, I think one way or the other, I just want folks, this is my only, this is the only part that I, I hold dear to, which is John's capable of winning this fight, even in a diminished state. And that the part, that's the part to be like, it's like, could Cyril win this fight in a diminished state? I don't think he could, you know, I don't think he will be. So it's kind of irrelevant, but uh, John could, he could. Um, but this idea that I think we're going to get, you know, oh my God, this was the guy we saw in the second Cormier or even to an extent, the second Gustafson fight. Only if there's a huge gap in the takedown, because you've actually watched the second Gustafson fight. John was better on the feet in the first two rounds, but not by a huge margin. Actually, we can look at the stats. I can prove it to you. Let's pull up the second Gustafson fight. Now, it ends up being a much bigger difference overall because of the third round pounding that he took. It was bad in the second round, too. Yeah, it got bad over time. Here, I'll pull it up for you. In the first round, it was reasonably close, right? 19 of 16. Again, this is numeric totals, not quality totals. He began to pull away pretty clearly in the second. Uh, but he whiffed on a takedown, whiffed on three takedowns, John did. So he whiffed on four takedowns. And then this mostly came from ground and pound. That's not on the feet standing. So he began to take over in the second. But it was reasonably competitive in the first uh, you know, John was better, but you go back and you watch, he just, he's not like bulldozing him. He wasn't really rocking him. He wasn't, nor was he like, he just seemed a little. A little, I don't know, less able to do what he normally did. Part of that was obviously Gustafson's movement and his as well. Um, anyway, I do think he was unmotivated. I don't think that fully explains everything. Good question. Luke, are you secretly hoping John Jones gets sent to the land of wind and ghosts Saturday night? Honestly, I this you know I don't know what people will believe at this point. I can only say what I believe, and then you know the world will decide how truthful they believe it to be. Honestly, like you know, part of me wouldn't hate it, um, but not really, not really. To be honest with you, not really. Um, listen, there's lots of fighters that I don't particularly care for. Uh, lots is a strong word, but there are several. There's several I don't particularly care for. But dude, I have said this on this podcast a million times and I'm going to keep saying it because it really is the truth. Fighting is too difficult and these guys are too underpaid for what they do for me to look at a situation like this and then get some kind of perverse pleasure. I mean, I'm not going to say I haven't enjoyed a knockout at various times like you would like any other fan would for a fighter they like or don't like that's not true of course i have but as i've gotten older i just find fighting to be so difficult and so perilous that all you really want is for the right guy to win and look man if john is the better guy and he's beaten up cyril he deserves it like what are you gonna say he doesn't deserve it he deserves it uh if john has beaten up cyril and he's clearly the better guy and you know the ref doesn't fuck up and the if the judges are called to be involved because it goes the distance you know you want you want that dude you want that effort as a as a 
as somebody, if you care about MMA, you want better process. You want better results. You want as much fairness as possible introduced into the system. You know, so like if John's the better guy, the judges need to reward that. If John is the better guy, he deserves on that night to have that acknowledged. You know, it's just as the reality. And I felt that way um, at 214 when he beat Cormier. I was like, I didn't know it was going to happen. I don't remember what my pick was at the time. You know, then, of course, that's the one where he, you know, shat on me at the presser. Um, even then, it's like, dude, if he's the better guy, then he he deserves it, you know? So, you know, is is there a part of me, a, a tiny part of me that might crack a smile if he gets you know completely stretched or something I, I, well i don't know about stretch because then it starts to get nervous about his his health but you know if he ends up getting you know tko'd or something is there a part of me that would be like well you know i'm not gonna say i hate that yeah there might be a small part of me about that but candidly i really i truly mean this you watch enough fights you watch enough people get screwed and also this is the last thing too like i don't love lebron james really at all i'm not a fan of lebron james i don't really enjoy his game but like and I still think Michael's the best basketball player I've ever seen, which, you know, no one really cares about my basketball opinion. I'm just telling you how I feel. But, you know, to the extent that LeBron achieves legitimate accolades that we can all agree are legitimate, like an NBA championship, not in the bubble or something, dude, he earned it. Like, those seasons are hard. They're difficult. They're brutal on the body. Um, they have to travel all the time. You know, it's an extraordinarily difficult league in which to compete. Like, if he's the one that gets it done don't I don't want to get in the way of greatness right like who wants to be the guy seriously question who wants to be the guy cheerleading against someone who is again in this positive circumstance in this theoretical circumstance who wants to be the guy who is cheering against the person who is achieving great things I, you know you want to be that guy I don't really want to be that guy not 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 really um I mean, like, genuinely achieving good things. I don't mean, like, in some kind of euphemistic way where we can apply it to a politician. Like, fuck them. I'm talking about an athlete, a professional athlete, and they're on their path to greatness, and they're doing great things. Like, who wants to cheer for that not to happen? And it's not like I'm some huge fan of Gone either, you know? Um, I don't I don't love or hate him. I, I, I respect him very much, but I don't, you know, I don't have, like, sentimental attachment to him or something there's i'll tell you i'll just be candid there's been a couple of times behind the scenes and i've never made it public and i probably never will where fighters have genuinely fucked me over with something um you know and then they subsequently lost bouts after that i you know it felt good for five seconds i was like oh well you know someone got their comeuppance but then i realized it's got you know nothing to do with me i don't have any cause there's no cosmic energy here it's just me being a you know uh, a hurt hater. Um, so if Gon is the better one and Gon deserves it, then I hope he gets it. You know, I really just whoever whoever is really the better guy, let the process be fair on that night so they get their hand raised. And if that is John, that is John. That is John. I'm, I'm truly I'm okay with that. Look, dude, even if he never fought again. Look at how much great shit he's achieved. You know what I mean? You're going to like throw eggs at this. Like you have to just live in a world where people you may not like do extraordinary things. And you have to be adult enough to the best you can be to recognize that they are entitled to the rewards of their achievements. Whether you like it or not, you know. 
All right. Luke, I've thoroughly enjoyed the last couple of RSDs. Who would be your ideal RSD guest and why? John would be an interesting one, but I wouldn't trust that I would get a, an honest answer if my life saved on it or my, if my life depended on it. So, so he's out. The answer is Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's the answer. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, look at the fucking shirt I'm wearing. Arnold Schwarzenegger has been, you know, you, I don't know if you guys even feel it now, however young you are, you won't appreciate it. But if you grew up in the 1980s and the 90s, Schwarzenegger was God. Schwarzenegger was God. You know, he had come off uh, uh, the bodybuilding career and he had completely transformed that industry and he jumped right into Hollywood. And, you know, I mean, Predator is my favorite movie of all time. I'm not saying it's the best movie of all time. It's just my personal favorite. Um, I really love that movie. And Schwarzenegger, I have I have a Schwarzenegger poster here. I have a Schwarzenegger poster here. I have a Schwarzenegger toy right there on my thumb is. I have a Schwarzenegger toy. I have Schwarzenegger's and in, in Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. Uh, I subscribe to Schwarzenegger's uh, health newsletter. I follow him all over social media. Like Schwarzenegger has been a massive, massive influence in my life. And listen, he wasn't the best governor. You know, that's not very hard to admit. Uh, and he's made a lot of mistakes in his part. I mean, just banging the housekeeper and then having kids. You know, he's got issues. But um, just in terms of like the way in which he was able to mold his body and his mind and then have this direction, purposeful existence. And like, I'm going to, and you guys won't appreciate this, but for an Austrian guy, to come over to the United States in the seventies, dominate bodybuilding, become an action star. And at the time anyway, for what that represented marrying a Kennedy, I mean, this guy was the American dream. And remember my mom was an immigrant, right? You know? Um, so like, I'm always like, you know, 1980s Americana immigrant made good stories always resonate with me. They always will. Um, so I, I really am just, I'm a Schwarzenegger guy. I'll always be. And there's so much I'd love to ask him. There's so many things I'd love to talk to him about. I've been a Schwarzenegger historian for a you know a big part of my life, and um, yeah, the 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 answer is Arnold Schwarzenegger with a bullet. All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, Luke, this might just be me, but I find it hard to believe that Jones will overwhelm Gone with the initial takedown attempts. What I believe is more likely to happen is that when they lock up, that Jones will try and make Gone work through various positions until Gon makes a mistake, and from there, he will try and steal the round through control. Do you think this is a reasonable assessment? Yes, I absolutely do. You've mentioned that Jones' ground and pound has been nasty, but in recent fights where he managed to take his opponents down, Smith-Reyes, there was a lack of ground and pound in both of those. A little bit... In, okay, the Reyes fight, again, I spoke to his coaches after the Reyes fight, and I think what they told me was that John was really hesitant to engage in any kind of meaningful way, like enough to win, but he was afraid to engage because of he couldn't figure out um, whether Santos was coming or going, like the attacks up the middle were really kind of throwing him off. So he retreated to a more defensive kind of mindset. Uh, I'd have to go back and watch the Smith fight to know exactly what you mean, but certainly in the Cormier fight to finish him off, and then in the, in the Gustafson fight, the takedown, top control, wrist control, ground and pound. Contrast that with what like Mackenzie Dern does for ground and pound. We've talked about that on my tape study with Mackenzie Dern, where she balances on her head and then tries to punch like this you know, it's just terrible. He has he has very forceful ground and pound. Uh, I, I actually think your assessment's right on, but it can get deceiving. It can get deceiving. Let's go back to it again. If, if you've watched this live chat before, you've heard me say it. Khabib, Connor, round one. I have seen folks say Khabib didn't do anything. Sure about that? You sure about that? He absolutely did. Now, whether or not that 
naturally dovetails in a perfect way with what the scoring criteria calls for is a separate debate. But what did he do to his opponent in round one, aside from just control him? Motherfucker, he drained him. He drained him. He pulled the plug on it and let it leak. Right? He knew that if he could make Connor work, if he could make him work in the grappling, make him work in a cardiovascular standpoint, make his arms tired, fill them with blood, the whole nine yards, if he could do all of that, he just gets a different Connor after that. You know, Connor round one is a devastating force, typically, right? At his, at his peak, he certainly was, right? So drain him, drain him. Don't fight that version, wrestle that version. And then in round two, in round three or whatever, now you can fight him. Now fight him a little bit and you get a different Connor. He was absolutely right in the game plan. It was a brilliant game plan and it worked perfectly, right? I suspect you'll see something here. To your point, he may not get the takedowns initially. If there's a huge gap in skill, there will be. But I think you're right. I think he actually will struggle a little bit with the takedowns, certainly for the first round or two, probably, something like that. Uh, round three is where I think it will get kind of interesting. Uh, but but let's go back to the heft. Let's go back to the front, lock, front head lock series. Let's go back to feeding wrists to one another. Let's go back to all of that. He's going to lean on him. He's going to try and drain him. Why? Now, Gon is a heavyweight, but doesn't have that like Connor menacing one punch power in that way. Uh, not in the same way anyway, but he moves a lot. He's got a good gas tank. Drain him. Drain him. Uh, if you can drain him by getting him on the ground, great. If you can drain him just by leaning on him in the clinch, making him carry your weight, pummeling with him constantly, underhooking, 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 underhooking yanking his balance one way yanking him another way and then locking up with him all the time by the way stifling movement not letting him land at distance right so he can't fire strikes so you're now you're lowering his output while you're draining him on top so you might be right in the sense that it could be a couple of rounds or more uh, before the takedowns start hitting but i would still pay attention to how long he's able to make contact and to what extent he's able to make uh, gone carry his weight now maybe he's not able to maybe gone's able to separate no like izzy has like a really fearsome takedown defense like he wants to separate immediately with these guys right he doesn't let you play games at all for the most part he's very good about just finding separation we'll see if gone has that same kind of urgency we will see but um that's that's the, i think that's a very plausible path like taking his time to to drain him and then when he's drained get him you know Question about Hamzat at 170. I don't really know. I tend to think from what we're hearing, it'll be 185, but I can't really say. Um, here we go. How about this one? All respect to Ferdinand Lopez. Do you think he may have a strategic coaching blind spot for wrestling? Yes. Seeing Francis go from the first Stipe fight to dominating Cyril on the ground and some of the team's comments afterwards make me think, hmm, yeah, a little bit I have the same thought too, like especially because uh, it's a problem for Nasordin Imavov. It's a problem for him too. He doesn't have a bad ground game, but um, there's a there's a big difference. There's a gap, I think, between what he does on the feet and what he does on the ground. Now you know, he has finishes on the ground, but in terms of his ability to get it there and reasonably keep it against like more credentialed opposition, I have some questions about it. Um, and again, like, <laughs> dude, if the if that coach didn't say to him, "Why the fuck did you sit for the ankle?" If they didn't tell him to never do that again, they are fucking up wildly. 
wildly. You know, that I mean, if the first thing that should have happened after that fight was over was, I'm sorry, then it went that way. Let's talk about what went wrong. Why the fuck did you sit for the ankle? You know, <laughs> like, you have to learn how to pass no gi. You have to learn how to do it. Like, compare that to Shavkat Rachmanov, right? When Shavkat Rachmanov has you on your back, open guard, leg up, and he's standing at a distance, what does he do? Yo, he ain't sitting for your fucking ankles, bro. You know, he's going to pass your legs. He's going to go like he did to Neil Magny. He's going to go knee on belly. And, you know, (laughs) and he's going to rain down the hammer of Thor on you, right? It's a very clear, different level of ability. He knows exactly what to do here, right? Uh, Gon does not, or at least at that night, certainly did not. And that is a major, 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 major red flag. Sitting for an ankle because you can't pass guard over when you're standing and the other person is on their back uh, and you don't know how to pass, that's a major, major problem. It would have been better if he had gone into Gon's guard, honestly, and then ground and pounded him rather than sitting. Not just because he got swept. Let's imagine a world where he didn't get swept. Let's imagine a world where he just sat for it. That, it's a low percentage ankle lock submission. It's just an Achilles lock. It's just a pain. I mean, uh, okay, it's not just a pain. There are ways in which it can be quite damaging. But in general, it's, you know, it's not like um, it's going to be very difficult for someone to really, really do some serious damage with a straight Achilles lock, old school style. Uh, you know, you'd have to add a little bit of more conventionality to it. And he didn't have a good bite on it to sit for a heel hook. And also, you really want to, you wouldn't, you wouldn't lock up. The, like, like, how good is Gon's Ashigarami game? It's not, it's not very good. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, someone asked me if Phil Daru got back to me. Yes, I forgot to call him back, but he did. He did message me. Let me tell you what he wrote me. Phil did write me. Oh, damn. Someone asked an interesting question. Does Cyril Gon have a broken hand? What do you think? Does he? A little bit. He might. Or a damaged one, anyway. Uh, let's see. What did Phil say? Here we go. Phil said, uh, I use mid-thigh isometric pulls. You can also use in the zercher position. I'll explain zercher in a second. We measure either with force plates or crane scale. You can also look at one rep maxes for zercher squat and sumo deads. For rate of force, I use reactive strength index and dynamic strength index. You can use jump mats and VBT monitoring to measure explosive power as well. Uh, and there's a couple of things he goes into. Zercher squats. You guys know what Zercher squats are? Zercher squats, they look kind of weird. You have the barbell, almost like you're doing two curls. The barbell rests in the crook of your arm. And you squat that way. Zercher squats. And the reason why it's kind of interesting is it obviously it places the weight in a different position. It's not front racked on the shoulders or back racked on the on the back or the traps. It's racked inside the elbows. So the weight is actually in front of you. It can pull you in a way. So you have to kind of hold it and keep, you know, and keep... Um, the proper alignment of your spine and you have to hinge properly so that it stays level. But when you stand up in the zercher, remember the barbell's going this way, right? Like this. When you stand up in the zercher, that's a, think about how you're underhooking and pulling an opponent that can be, uh, there can be a, a significant amount of carryover. So I've seen 
a lot of trainers introduce the Zercher squat as a way to work on not just takedown defense. It's not so much a skill in that sense, but to work on the same kind of motor pattern that would translate over. And so that's what he's measuring is what kind of weight and explosivity do you have in the Zercher squat? You know, um, it's a good answer. The question was, are there any, are there any like, uh, you know, like if you can bench 500 pounds or squat a thousand, these are like these, you know, insane numbers, but it's like a measurement of how strong you are. Like, uh, like a, there's an objective standard. Um, obviously, you know, we, we know the standards for bench pressing, right? What's a good number? A good number is you should be able to bench your body weight at a bare minimum, I think. Um, right. So the, we're talking about like, what's a good standard for a UFC athlete. That's what he uses to measure in terms of like strength measurables. All right, here we go. Luke, I appreciate all the work you've been putting in. I've just got to ask, how do you deal with casuals in MMA? Very easily, I don't. Like the dumbest, well, that's not quite true. Like the dumbest opinions about the sport, e.g. this fighter is scared of this or this fighter would have won if he landed this punch. Do you still get mad at him or is it just white noise at this point? Yeah, it's totally white. I don't, I don't, I mean, every once in a while, someone will rattle the cage, but in general, it's like, who gives a shit at this point? On some level, I actually enjoy talking to casuals a little bit when they're not asking stupid questions, but like when they're asking very broad questions about why things are the way they are in the industry, and then you have to give them a long answer or why fighting works in a certain way, and you have to give them kind of this explanatory, clear path to help them get it. I, I actually like doing that. But what you're talking about is just, you know, people who lost money on parlays or something. Yeah, like, I have strong filters on social media. I, I do a lot to, you know, get, get that out. Good question. Luke, given his last performance against Costa, what do you make of Luke Rockhold transitioning to BKFC at this stage in his career? Well, I saw a little bit of his interview with Ariel, and it seems like they're paying him great, which is great. I'm happy to see that. I think that's great. Um, I think it's probably a bad idea, but hard to say, right? So I was I, I was tweeting back and forth with Alan Joban um, yesterday. And he didn't like the idea of Luke Rockhold fighting Mike Perry all that much. He thought Mike was giving up a lot of weight. You know, what I think, what's that fight going to be like? 195? I have to go back and double check the catch weight or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, you've got a guy who's basically a natural welterweight going up against a guy who is probably decently suited for 205, but okay, 185. Whatever the cut is, whatever the, the number is he has to make up. Um, you know, so let's just say Mike has a substantial weight disadvantage in that way. That's not great. And obviously Luke Rockhold has had a much more decorated MMA experience than Mike Perry, but I think it's foolish to sleep on Mike Perry. Dude, Mike Perry is a fucking dog. Number one. Number two, BKFC has a tiny ring and Luke Rockhold's striking style is a little bit more kickboxing based than boxing based. And I think he might get positionally overwhelmed a little bit. Uh, also, Mike Perry hits real fucking hard. And there's obviously questions about Rockhold's durability. I know he did go, you know, a long time. I think the full distance, right, with Costa losing. But, um, you know, in general, if there's any kind of weight cut involved, you're taking out kicks and kickboxing range. It's short two-minute rounds in a very narrow space against a heavy puncher, who's used to being in like wars and isn't as worn down as the other guy. Mm, you know, okay. He's got a weight disadvantage and a pretty sizable one. Okay. That's definitely something. I might put a little money on Mike Perry. I haven't seen the odds, but I think it'd be very, very foolish to sleep on Mike Perry. 
very foolish. So in general, I don't really like it, but I think with the matchup for Rockhold, the fact that he is much uh, lankier, longer, and the fact that there was a substantial or at least a reasonable difference in weight, I think it makes it for interesting matchmaking. Now, if he goes in there and blows the doors off Mike Perry, you know, it's okay. You know, we can we can question something. But, like, dude, if he goes and loses to Mike Perry, it's like, it's not like you're losing to some chump. That's not what I mean. But not at all. Like, again, I, I take the threat of Mike Perry very seriously in, in BKFC. And, dude, even talking to MVP about fighting Mike Perry, he was fucking surprised at how gritty he was, you know. He was like, oh, this was much harder than I thought it was going to be. And like one of the things that MVP said was he he knew the ring was smaller and he was training in a smaller one to get ready for it. And then when the fight happened, he felt like, oh, my God, it's way more constraining than I realized it would be on fight night. I wonder if Rockhold's going to be in a similar circumstance, you know, like these guys who come over from composite sports, like when Paulie came over, Paul Malinaji. You know, they obviously had like crazy decorated backgrounds and whatever they came from. Paulie was a two-way world champion in boxing at his peak, you know. But then they don't give a lot of credit to what the differences in the rules and the kind of fighting that, that you could do gritty ass fighting in BKFC in ways that, you know, I don't think Rockhold is particularly suited for. You know, so who had the better MMA career? Like Luke Rockhold by a million miles. But mm, mm, no. Um, what percentage chance do you give the story of John Jones's life having a happy ending? I hope it's a hundred. Um, I certainly don't wish ill on him again. What would that do for me? What would that change? Would it change my bank account? You know, would it change the way I look? Would it change anything about my life? You know, it would change nothing. So I don't wish ill on him. I wish that he could get some help. Uh, I've said this though. This is the only thing that worries me, right? This guy was doing all of this troubled stuff. And again, my credit to Mike Bond for asking him about the Hall of Fame thing in Vegas. You know, he, he blew it off. It was like, next question, which is his right. But I appreciate someone from media asking. But the guy during the two years off got basically arrested twice. Folks, I'm 43. I've never been arrested once. It's not hard to not get arrested. It's very easy to not get arrested. You know, super easy. It's, you know, um, and um, all of this shit that has been going on with him, this has all happened while he's been wealthy and winning. So what does it look like when he's losing? I, I worry about that, candidly. I worry about that. Like if Gon goes out there, I find it very unlikely that Gon would sleep him, but it's on the table. If Gon sleeps him, I don't know. I think someone might say, oh, he'd come back even more motivated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what if he gets injured and he can't get the rematch and you know there's a failure has a way failure and success both have ways of cascading uh i just mean to say if like you're this unhappy and you're this self-destructive when you're wealthy and on top of the world and famous and adored and um and everything else if you're that much of a mess under those conditions what happens when you lose I don't know. Or maybe he wins, but then he has to retire because eventually they all do. And what if not being able to get those wins again doesn't scratch some or, or satisfy some need he has? And what does that turn into? Like, it's what I keep saying. I said this last week. Like, if you don't address the root problem, dude, it will get you. 
It will get you. It will get you. Everybody thinks they can outrun their problems. I'll just move to a new city. I'll change my name. I'll get new friends. I'll switch gyms. You know, forget about all this. and I'm just going to move forward. Yeah, moving forward is good for sure. You got to move forward, not by just forgetting everything that happened. You got to deal with what it did to you. You have to do it. Otherwise, it will. you will just carry it. You can change everything else. You can change where you live. You can change who you talk to. You can change the country. You can change the language. You can go silent and move to the wilderness. You can do all that. If you don't change the problems that led to that behavior, you will, wherever you go, whatever you look like, whoever you are with, you will carry it with you there. The only way to leave it behind is not to move or to stop talking to people. Or, I mean, yes, some people can be bad influences, but I mean, in general, like whatever, whatever is going on inside of you that leads to this destructive behavior, you have to fix it here. Otherwise, no matter what else you do, you'll just carry it to the next iteration of your life. Trust me when I tell trust me when I tell you that is 1000% true. You can only outrun your problems in life. No matter how rich you are, no matter how famous you are, no matter how successful you are, you can only, 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 only move on from them by, by dealing with them and dealing with them in a responsible, straightforward, therapeutic manner. So maybe he's done that. You know, maybe he's done that. I don't know. I tend to think probably not. All right. Uh, I didn't even mention something at the top about the super chat. If you guys have filled it up, great. I'll take a look. You're certainly under no obligation to pay for any of this. But if you want to, we'll put your question here on the screen. All right. Let's take a look at what we got first from Jacob. Luke, what are your thoughts on Lex Fridman? I thought, is it Friedman? Friedman? Uh, I enjoy some of his podcasts and his ability to open to be open to ideas. He's obviously quite intelligent too. Thanks, love the chat. Um, here's the thing: my brother actually has a PhD in math and um, actually graduated number one in his class, and now he does um, uh, machine learning. He has articulated some concerns to me about some of his work, uh, but they're beyond my the scope of my machine learning comprehension. So I'll say that I've seen some interviews he's done with like John Danaher, and I find him to be a really good interlocutor in moments like that, but I, I'm going to caution everyone. I see this all the time. I'm not going to bag on Lex. I don't have, I've watched some of his stuff and to the extent that I've watched it, I've enjoyed it. But, but has not, has this not occurred to anyone yet? Everyone in MMA wants everyone else in MMA to like the same things. It's just shocking. Like everyone has to listen to the same podcasts they have to listen to, you know, um, uh, attend all the same events, talk about all the same things. There's just this insane current that gets everyone in MMA to consume all of the same things, not just the fights themselves, but everything around it. Like, dude, I'm not going to sit here and bash Joe Rogan. I was on his show. I'm very grateful for that. And I have listened to independent episodes. Again, they're three hours. It's mostly just a logistical problem that I can't listen to it because there's just so many of them and they're so long. Um, and he's done great work. And there's been times he's said shit I hated. But, you know, in general, like, that's true of anybody, right? Uh, he, he, he has been enormously successful. And if you like his podcast, you should continue to listen to it. But the fact that, like, and his is so popular that it's a little bit different. But, like, everyone, you know, just sort of centering all of their consumption habits in all of the same directions, I actually think is a really huge problem in MMA. And every time someone like 
pops up and it's like, oh, this is the show. This is the podcast. This is the thing to read, to listen to, to watch, whatever. I typically go the other way because I just know everyone who gravitates to that is going to have the exact same opinion about everything. I would like to go in a different direction. I would like to hear. So it's, you know, I, I try to go like whatever people in this sport are listening to. Um, this isn't universally true, certainly, but like for stuff like that, where it's like edge case stuff, because he gets into things far beyond MMA and jiu-jitsu, as I understand it, he gets into a lot of other things. I know he had Kanye on his show and he tried to reason with Kanye. God bless him. He's got the patience of Job to do it. But I try to go a different direction. I really do. I try to go and read authors that people aren't reading. I try to, re you know, everyone's like, you got to read this guy. You got to listen to this guy. No, I don't. Because all of you are going to have the exact same opinion from the exact same information. And then you're all going to treat this as like biblically true. And it's all going to be, you know, just this kind of recycled thing where everyone is just involved in the same load of laundry. No, 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 no. I go a different direction. I try to listen to different people. I try to read different things and I bring that difference to MMA. And I realize that sometimes that causes a lot of friction. I get that, but I'd rather have a different perspective that causes friction than just regurgitating and, 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 and frankly consuming the same things that everybody else consumes. I really try to the best extent, just get a different look at things, get a different ear for things. Just remove yourself from that. Luca, thank you so much for the great con. Oh, it's a very nice message. Well, thank you, Keon. I appreciate that, dude. Very cool. Thank you, buddy. Are people still sleeping on Leon Edwards? Yep. He KO'd the pound for pound number one and hasn't lost a fight since 2015. In your opinion, what makes someone like Islam potentially the pound for pound number one, but not Leon? Um, I told you, Islam kind of blew up after that Oliveira win. Like the traffic around him changed. I could see it. Search changed around him. Like his popularity went up a lot. And then even for the Volkanovsky fight, his popularity went up another level. I think he represents something for to a large population uh, in terms of like, um, you know, uh, Muslim athletes that the Muslim world can look up to. I think he fulfills that role a lot, obviously in a way that Khabib did, not the same level, but certainly pretty significant. Um, and Leon had a lot of uninspiring victories. We should just be honest about that. You know, like the he beat up, Donald Cerrone, it was a good win, but it wasn't like an earth-shattering win. Same with the Gunnar Nelson win. Same with a bunch of wins. They were solid-ass wins. He looked good doing them, but they were not amazing. He didn't, he, you know, he had the rivalry with Jorge, but then Jorge went off in a different direction, and that didn't really, he, he's sort of been very quiet. He's been very quiet. And then he has this performance against uh, Kamaru where he has one of the most incredible knockouts in UFC history, certainly in the context anyway. This is an amazing, amazing victory, and now people are, are getting warm to him. He needs more of those, not like head-kicking the pound-for-pound pound number one guy in the fifth round. I don't mean that, but he needs rivalries. He needs foes. He needs he needs um, something to elevate his stature. He needs victories that are a little bit more dynamic. It's not unfair to say he is both at once an incredibly talented fighter I mean, he's not a champion by accident. That's a fact. At the same time, the Kamaru Usman rematch notwithstanding, he's had some um, commendable victories, but not super memorable ones. Um, for whatever reason, Islam, even though in many ways doesn't have the length of resume that uh, that Leon Edwards has, he, he certainly has much more memorable ones, especially of late. Any suggestions on self-improvement books for washed middle-aged pieces of crap? 
Also, your favorite Bourne movie. I, th- I don't like the Bourne movies. I think they're shit. I, now, I've not seen all of them, but the ones I've seen, I thought were garbage. I saw the last one, which had like Julia Stiles in it. And it, we had like, I don't know who directed it, but the camera was always shaking because it was supposed to be real. It was fucking terrible. And I'm sorry. I just don't buy Matt Damon as an action hero. Like, no, like, you know, no, I, sorry. No, like the guy who was selling us bullshit crypto and, you know, doing Goodwill hunting in 97 is an international badass like nah you're just not you're not that guy for me um no i don't i I don't i'm not a big um hustle culture guy although some people seem to benefit from it and if they do great you know what my recommendation is for middle-aged pieces of shit it's not to look at self-help although if you need some that there might be some for you i think for me um it's just you need to find some kind of skill you want to get better at and invest in it. Re-education. I don't mean in the North Korean sense, but like I'm currently taking a couple of online classes and I'm doing it just for edification, both in terms of practical things and non-practical things, a philosophy class and then a class on um, some video editing. Like there's no, uh, you know, that's not going to give me financial direction or something else I might need. But um, I tend to find that I get a lot out of, picking up individual skills and then using that to build a better life for myself. And when I do that, most things tend to take care of themselves by and large. What do you think of Poirier versus RDA at this stage of their careers? Fun matchup between two legends and recognizable names. How does it play out? I think the power punching of Poirier is a little too much for him. Yeah. Luke, uh, struggling with the ethical implications of buying the pay-per-view and putting money in John's pocket. Really? I, I don't have problem putting money in John's pocket. Like I'm paying for him so I can watch him fight. That seems like a reasonable trade to me. Uh, I know what you mean. I don't want to give it to that guy, but hold on. I'll get to that in a minute. But damn, I want to watch the card. Is this a case of separating the art from the artist? Just looking at your thoughts. Let me tell you something, folks. If you want your fighters, if you want to watch or boxers, right? Jiu-jitsu players, really. Anybody, wrestlers, whoever. If you are in the business of you can only financially support the ones who have a reasonably similar moral compass or frankly, even a normally function one. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to be buying that many pay-per-views and that is fine. You don't have to buy as many or as few as you want. Uh, the reality is the fight game is going to give opportunities to a lot of broken people. Some are only broken for a moment in time. Some are broken forever. Um, and some do bad things and um, and get away with it, and some don't. But um, I understand your apprehension. But let me assure you, if you are concerned that John Jones is uniquely bad in certain ways, and he might be, but I got to tell you, I don't think he's difference in his difference is in degree, not in kind. You know, um, I think that there's a lot of, or people who are like good people, good fighters who are great people that, you know, let like absolute dirt hole scumbag managers who are totally unethical pieces of shit manage them. You've seen that too. You know, like they're, they'll have someone in their orbit who is like utterly like, what the fuck are the guys going over to see Kadyrov, you know, and they're otherwise great guys. And then they do this and like, what are you fucking doing? Like, you know, a total moral failure of a decision. I think if you're bound by those things and you don't want to pay for them, I don't think combat sports is for you. Candidly, I don't, I don't think it's for you. Um, I think for me, I love the sport too much. Now I get paid for it, but 
even then I would still pay for it under the idea that, you know, I'm not giving this to a boy scout, but I'm not trying to, I'm trying to give it to a prize fighter. And I might, you know, there, there, it's not, listen, there are some purchasing decisions that, um, and maybe they're not really in coherence with the rest of my views, but there are some think places I will shop and places I won't based on some ethical choices. Maybe some of those are compartmentalized and they're not fully fleshed out. I don't have a single vision for everything. That's probably true too. But listen, I'm not telling you not to, to do that. Whatever you feel most comfortable doing, do that. But, you know, if you think that like the majority of MMA headliners or Boy Scouts, I just, I just don't, I don't think that's really in keeping with the real world. Uh, okay. Loved Amosov's performance last week. Ah, however, you're a slob, I'm a slob is one of the best MKisms. That and when you read the ad as man scraped. Yes. Do you guys see you're a slob, I'm a slob? That dude can fight his ass off, boy. Woo, he's good. Uh, here we go. <laughs> good question. Uh, Luke, you once asked John to reflect on his 20s and he responded poorly. Yeah, he sure did. To your eyes and ears, we are now seeing a reflective 35-year-old with much-needed perspective or just the same old John. Yeah, I don't see anything really new. He's got more time upon which and absence upon which to, um, you know, begin to tie pieces of his life together and see differences and growth and change and everything else like anyone else would at age 35. But I, I listen, he's an inveterate liar and a bullshit artist. And I don't think any of us really have any ability to tell when he's lying or when he's not. And until he can go long stretches of his life without getting locked up or otherwise being in some kind of absurdly sordid affair, um, I don't think you should take a single thing he says at face value. I don't think he's earned the right. I mean, by, by what right has he earned for you to say, I can take what he says at face value? You would have to be extremely gullible to make that argument, right? I can take what John Jones says at face value. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. He is, and I'm not even sure if he knows when he's lying about like himself or to himself. Or one thing I know is that when it's time to compete, man, he can really focus and he can do incredible things. And I won't take that from him. But the guy, I don't take anything he says as a when he when he like declares things about himself. I don't take any of it seriously. I don't listen to a word of it. Um, if you have a different view on it, fine. For me, I it means no, all of that shit means nothing, right? The only thing that matters is what you do. Like what he says about I'm going to be this or this is going to be this way or I'm it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it means it, it's it's there. It is he's just saying words. It's on a treadmill. It's nothing. Um, so no, I don't, I don't, I don't care about it at all. <laughs> we still claim you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you to the people of India for being so generous. Uh, is it just me or is there no way that Jones will have the strength advantage over gone even after bulking? Uh, is there no way I'd be surprised if he didn't, it's in play, it's in play, but it's not like pure, they're not arm wrestling, right? They're not bench pressing in, in the competition. Like, wrestling positions and the smoothness of them and the complexity of them and like just the right fit in them a lot of that is just sort of skill and time on the mat that gone can't replicate so it's not like strength versus strength purely in that sense 
certainly some heft and some strength can be beneficial. Um, but it's not a pure strength. It's not, this is not a strong man competition. And even if it was, I would like John's chances. If John beats gone and then beats Stipe, who out of the current UFC heavyweight top 15 would pose the biggest challenge for him stylistically. Oh, who out of the current top? Um, well, I don't, I, I don't know how to answer this because I need to see what he looks like first. You know, how slow does he look? Um, how good are his takedowns? Um, how does he look in the fifth? Let's see how he looks. It's a fine question to ask, but it's a better question to ask on Sunday than it is today. Luke, can Gon have a level up in which he beats a Jones that looks great at heavyweight? Possible. Possible, yes. Does he only win if Jones looks poor and slowed down? I'd say yes. I, I, I would be surprised if he wins if John looks really awesome physically. I'd be surprised. Luke, what happened to Barbas? Will we get any Doggo MK merch? Thanks. Keep up the great work. I, the problem is I wouldn't mind keeping Barbas in here, but I have to lock my door because otherwise Violetta will come in here. And then, you know, so if I open it now to bring Barbas in here, she's going to come storming in here like Tokyo or uh, like Godzilla in downtown Tokyo. And I just want to avoid that. So why the hell did Sabah Homasi fight Abdul Razak Al-Hassan twice in the span of a month and a half? Wasn't, I forget the story on that one. I forget. There was some kind of controversy about one and they had to redo it. It was something like that. Obviously, the UFC is the number one MMA organization in the world. Why do you think, who do you think takes the two to five spots? Um, probably I'd put one championship second. Roster for roster, I'd put Bellator third and PFL four. And then maybe BKFC five, something like that. Ryzen, something like that. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to think more about it. Definitely UFC one, obviously. It's debatable who's two. For me, it feels like one right now. And this can change. Bellator sitting at a nice three. Um, that's about how I'd have it. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, bro. Oh, my God. Look at this. Dip your car. Holy fuck, bro. Come uppins is a great term. Come uppins. Come up and here, let me spell it for you. Right there. Come up and a punishment or fate that someone deserves. That's how you spell it. Thank you for the donation. Dip your car. I remember when dip your car used to uh, sponsor uh, Cormier. He used to have the dip your car shirt. I think he had it one on. For like the rumble fight, maybe something like that. Uh, okay. You say Jones versus DC was the greatest he's ever been. However, in one night, who was the greatest MMA fighter you've ever seen? One option is Anderson Silva in his masterclass against Forrest Griffin. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, man, Dominic Cruz over Takeya Mizugaki was just a hell of a performance, wasn't it? That wasn't the best MMA fighter, but like just all time competitive nights. That's up there. Connor versus Aldo is another one. Connor versus Alvarez is another one. Um, just nights where a guy looked unbeatable, you know. Um, yeah, so, yeah, some of those. 
which of these MMA legends is likely to come out of retirement in the next year or two? Cormier, no. Joanna, I put it a maybe. TJ Dillashaw, not a year, but two. Yes. Ronda, no. Fedor, no. Aldo, he's already kind of back, but you mean MMA? I'll say no. Uh, muchas gracias. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for all your content. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Uh, do you think Gon can take advantage of calf kicks? Yes, in the same way Paria did against McGregor. A little bit less so, but maybe. Like McGregor, Jones has been out of the sport during a time when this technique became more popular. So Gon has a decent one, but a lot, his is a little bit more slapping, and it's good for hitting and going. So I think he'll be able to land it, but I don't know if he can sit and dig in the same way that Poirier did to Connor, especially because of the reach disadvantage he might have. What were Poirier and Connor's reach? Let me see. Um, Poirier has a 74 inch reach. Excuse me. Connor has a 74 inch reach. Poirier has a 72 inch reach. So Poirier had to give up two inches, although he's obviously it's a different range, so he can get away with it. This one's going to be, uh, actually, this one's only going to be an inch and, I think, an inch or an inch and a half reach disadvantage. It's possible. It's definitely possible. For sure, he's going to use it. Like that, I, I have no doubt about it. He's going to use it. The question is, will he use it to be able to dig? Maybe. We'll have to see. Uh, I love the way you interpret questions and articulate answers. Where did you develop this philosophy degree? Yeah, philosophy training for sure. For sure. It's so amazing, man. Like I see all these, uh, there's so much consternation about the future of higher education and like, oh, we're going to remove departments of these like low performing majors and everything. And it's like, uh, I think I saw Howard University, which is the local HBCU here in DC. They were getting rid of like their English lit department and even I think even their philosophy department. And I was like, dude, People think that what you need to go to college for is to get skills to get a job. And I'm going to here to tell you that that's not fully true. It certainly is true for a lot of people. It certainly is true for a lot of universities who are expressly telling you that's what it's for. My family never told me that. What they told me was if you got a degree, yes, it would be good for getting a job later, but that's not why you go to college. You go to college and you pursue higher education for the benefit of higher education so that you are a more well-rounded contributing citizen member of your community professional whatever it is and that's why i kind of played both i got the government slash political science major for my future in case i needed to use that to build upon and then i got the philosophy major because that was just better for me to get better educated um I, it's the best decision i've ever made that and joining the marine corps two decisions i made at age 17 or 18 that have proven to be, boy, let me tell you something. I made a lot of dumbass decisions at 17 and 18. I mean, stupid beyond defensibility, but not those. Those ones have worked out to be extremely well. I've, I've really, 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 really benefited from that. All right, let's see. Doesn't have hard feelings towards John Jones only because he's black. <laughs> if John Jones was white, Luke would try to bury him every chance he gets. Oh, believe me, my friend. There have been plenty of white fighters that um, I've not been happy with. Trust me. Trust me. But if that helps you sleep at night, thank you for the donation. Got lifting gloves for my birthday. What should I do? You should ask for the gift receipt. 
and take them back. Guys, it's not hard to grow some calluses on your hand. I don't even have very good ones. I don't even have very good ones. It's not hard. Get them on your hands. You'll be okay. It's fine, I promise. All right. If John ends up purposely poking Cyril in the eyes like he does in his other fights, would you like to see the referee take a point? One billion percent. Sure. Would love it. Uh, how do you balance negative feelings towards athletes with still enjoying their performance on athletic level? I can do it much easier now. I almost feel silly for still feeling anger towards John after the abuse incident as others seem to have moved on. I've not moved on. I still think, you know, he's got terrible issues to resolve, but, um, and he probably is a bad person, but, um, dude, if you're going to watch fight sports, this is who's here. I don't know what to tell you. You know, if you don't like the people who hang out at that bar, don't go to that bar. Uh, cause I know what you're saying. It's like, what I would rather do is make some kind of consumer or economic choice that forces change so I can feel more comfortable going to that bar. And I'm here to tell you, you're wasting your time. You probably won't get any, not much anyway. So you can't really meaningfully do that. Um, so I'm not telling you to give money to John Jones or to the UFC or to the, I mean, use your money however you want. But, and there are, there are people, again, where I've drawn the line, um, everyone's got their own. But in general, in general, week to week, month to month, like, did you guys see Jojo Diaz get arrested for child neglect? Duke can box his ass off, you know. Um, um, if you want to watch boxing, if you want to watch MMA, you have to be comfortable with the idea that you are on some level going to be uh, paying for or giving support to uh, people who outside of that occupational reality do horrible shit. Um, I'm not sure what else to tell you, right? Um, Lex has published borderline fraudulent machine learning papers. I, I, I don't know if that's true. You're, you're saying it. If you want a good laugh, look at his reading list for this year. His re I saw, uh, do you guys know, you guys know Nicholas Taleb? Nicholas Taleb, I think he's like a Lebanese academic. Um, he's big on shitting on crypto, which always makes me laugh because I love that. But um Lex Friedman put out this reading list. I'm just like, I'm going to read a book a week. And like, it was like these books, like the old man in the sea and like the brothers Karamazov and war and peace. It's like, dude, even if you could read these in a week, you, you, you like just piling one after the other, there's like this vast absorption of material, unless you're like a fucking true genius beyond the scope of human comprehension. Like, I appreciate that he wants to read those things. And I'm sure on some level, like he's read a bunch of those already, but because he seems like a bright guy, but um, Taleb's critique was you only show that list to people and say you're going to read it every week as like a show of like, look how great I am because and he's, you know, he's got some arrogant issues, arrogance issues himself, but as like a way to like, hey, look at me. I look how, look how great I am for reading all these things. You know, I tend to think it's a little bit of a cynical way of viewing it. But what I would say is in conjunction with Taleb, you can't possibly absorb the full weight of the brothers Karamazov reading it in a week and then jumping to another one the next. You need to, like these things are dense; they take time to fully get the depth of. And I'm sure on some level Lex knows that, but um, he got pilloried for that. Recently, I came to realize my bosses haven't provided any positive feedback back on my work. I don't think a person needs constant good job, but how does one deal with constant criticism? 
Uh, you should probably ask whether there's any validity to it if you're getting constant criticism. And if there isn't validity to it and you feel like it really is manufactured or you feel like there's a way to change it, you should figure that out. But if you feel like you can't actually change it and this is not a good environment, you just have to leave. But the first thing you should do is um, add some humility to the conversation and ask of like whether or not there's any real merit to any of it. Like, is it true about X? Is it true about Y? Can I, can I actually adjust these things? Um, you, you, some, some measure of honest self-assessment has to happen first, and then you have to pick up the pieces from there. So how do fighters take that two-year layoff earn money or ranked fighters who once had a year? Um, uh, sometimes sponsorships in the case of John, a lot of savings in other cases, they don't, they get financially destitute. They can teach classes at the, at the gym. Um, I've seen them sell shit, you know, uh, you know, it's a different scenario. Obviously, it's boxing, but Yuri Yorkis Gamboa had to sell his Olympic gold medal. He had to pawn it. He had to pawn it. Now, that wasn't because of inactivity. That was a little bit different. He was trying to get started, and he needed the money. But, you know, these guys, in a lot of different circumstances, find themselves without income for a while, and they just need a check. You know. For Gon, is this the most stakes for one fighter? He is fighting who many consider to be the greatest of all time. Man, Gon doesn't seem to give a shit, right? Like, I don't know if it's the right idea or not, but he doesn't seem to be feeling the weight of it very much. Uh, he seems to be playing a lot of FIFA and doing what he's supposed to. So, I, I, yeah, I understand your question, but he do, there doesn't seem to be any, like, physical sign that it's getting to him in any way. Any, net, any new Netflix shows you're watching? I watched Physical 100, most of it anyway. Just completed uh, Mardal Murders. Love from India. We are proud. Of <laughs> the India bit is funny. Um, no, I'm supposed to start. Isn't the Mandalorian out now? I want to start the Mandalorian, or not, not start it, but the new season. Um, but no, guys, I've been telling you. You know what I've been doing? I wish I could turn around the camera. I've just been watching at night old fights, not like old old fights, but you know fights from the '90s or whatever. <sighs> so good, boxing fights, obviously. Uh, okay. What do you think of Gon's pre-fight comments about being lazy, not training? We've kind of gone into this a little bit, but the answer is they're worrisome. Against most heavyweights, I don't think it really matters. Against Francis, it matters. And against John, it might matter a lot. I don't like it at all. BKFC just made a more interesting card than Bellator has in three years. Not so sure that's true. Bellator should be making fun fights and being creative. Wasted the CBS spot bigly. I don't fully agree with that. Um... They needed a name for the CBS debut that the casuals would know. Fedor, even in a diminished state, kind of solves that problem. Could they have done a different fight than the than the Bader rematch? Probably. I mean, getting Verdum there or getting JDS maybe would have been a little bit better. Who knows? Um, but I don't think it was the, necessarily all the wrong call to get Fedor on there. Uh, Brendan Ward, I thought, was an excellent call to open the, the main card. And again, they were supposed to go, remember what the initial card was, was Nemkov versus Romero, which is fucking sick. And Nemkov has a claim as being the best 205er in the world. He got injured, so they filled in Johnny Eblen. But Eblen needs the promotion. And this is the first time I'd actually seen like, his win over Musasi didn't do a whole lot for him promotion-wise. This time against uh, uh, Tokov, I noticed a little bit more buzz about Johnny in the aftermath. So part of that was we're not going to build the most dynamic card to get the best fights or whatever. I think part of it was let's build a card for casuals and then to promote these entities in a more forward way than we have been because they're obviously behind a paywall with Showtime and this was free on CBS. And I think I understand that strategy. 
I will say this. Um, to me, Bellator has fallen a step behind one. I don't mind acknowledging that. I do think they have a better roster than they had ever, but um, I think one has much more captured the imagination of the hardcore fan. Uh, and I think the other thing I would say is for BKFC, they're spending a lot of money that I don't like, you know, it's funny people. BKFC is spending a lot of money that I don't know that they have. I mean, they have it, they're giving it, but I mean, how, how much long, how much runway they have to do this over the long haul. I, I, I question, I don't, I don't know the answer, but I certainly question it. Whereas I think Bellator is making much smarter, um, much smarter investments for having a bigger roster and being able to do more things. Also, BKFC is still kind of locked in these territories that they can't do a whole lot. Bellator is able to take like a worldwide show, really. They can go to Russia. They can go to Japan. They can go to, they just did, Ireland, San Jose. So they've got a certain nimbleness and cost efficiency um, that I think, and when they go to Ireland, they have to build and program in that way. And when they go to Japan, they have to program in that way. And so it doesn't create the most like creative fun that you've ever seen sometimes. I think it's a fair criticism, but I think they're building a much more sustainable long-term product and that won't play out in the immediate sense. It will take time. What did Chael say on Hawani's show regarding Islam versus Volk? I don't know. You'd have to tell me. How do you think a prime Rumble Johnson would do against the current top light heavyweights in the UFC? I think he'd beat most of them, if not all of them. Yeah. Luke, you didn't get the lifting gloves joke. You're right, I didn't. Uh, any idea of doing a London-style event in Australia? Someone's going to have to pay for it. If you guys saw how much it costs to send me and Brian out there with the production crew, oh, my God. The bill was extraordinary. Uh, it was a huge fucking bill for them to do that. So someone would have to pay for it. Um, but I would love to, man. I really would. My goal, I've never, I've been all over the world. I have been to Asia. I have been to Africa. I have sub-Saharan and North. I've been all over the Middle East. I've been all over Europe. I've been to not fully South America, but parts of it, certainly Central America. I've been to Canada. I've been to a lot of places. I've never been to Australia and New Zealand. I really, really got to go. Keep up the great work. Thanks, bro. And then last but not least, Luke, I know you don't watch Premier League, but what are your thoughts on Arsenal? This is their best chance to win the league in years. Dude, I'm happy for him, man. I remember the years with Wenger out and all this shit and how upset everyone was. And you could tune in to, to Troops and DT on uh, AFTV afterwards, and they would just be fucking going ballistic. How many times did, Bi did Bayern hang like six on him one time at the Allianz uh, Arena and, and fucking Troops and DT just lost their mind? It was fun. But I felt bad for them. It was a club, obviously, that had done amazing things with Thierry Henry and the Invincibles. And, dude, you know, I, I like Mikel Arteta a lot. And I think they've – and, and I said the part, too, is like – I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Erdegaard? Because I know it's like the O with the – the, the Norwegian dude with the O. He was a Real Madrid prospect when he was like 15, you know. And I – dude, that's just a tough place to be, you know, because he they flew him in there. And there was like Isco and Hamas and Ronaldo and Bale and Casemiro and Kroos and Modric and, you know, I mean, endless fucking names up and down that list of uh, players. And they he kind of had to swim with the Sharks. And I just don't think he got the attention that he needed. I don't think he got the proper development that he needed. It was just hard to get time on the field. Um, going to a place where he could be more of the center of the attention and the leadership on the field was obviously what he needed. He is thriving 
under Mikel Arteta's system right now, from what I can tell. And I'm really happy for him, dude. I was, I'm really happy for him. Madrid was a dude. Madrid's a hard place to go and win and and play. Very, 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 very difficult, especially if you're in an attacking position. It's very, very hard to do that. So uh, it was not a good fit for him. Boy, Arsenal is a great fit for him, and I'm really happy for him. Really, really happy for him and that team, dude. I hope I hope Arsenal win it. I hope Arsenal win the whole thing, man. Those guys, that fan base suffered. You know, they suffered. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. We had a big audience today. I really appreciate it. So thumbs up on here. Hey, you got an email for me. Shoot me. Uh, shoot me one. Don't shoot me in the face. Uh, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. There were issues with last week's podcast. There will not be for this one. It will go up tonight. And, of course, we'll change the thumbnail out here pretty soon. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you for all the donations. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, stay frosty. Yeah? Stay effing frosty. <laughs>